Well, I sure appreciate you making the choice to be here this weekend on probably the most beautiful weekend we will have for the rest of the year, and you're here. You are amazing. Thank you so much for making that choice. You came for the air conditioning, didn't you? Okay, I get it. We are in this series called Unforgettable, and it's based upon the idea that there are some unforgettable passages that ultimately lead to the shaping of every person who has a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And this summer, everyone who has the privilege of sharing truth with you is going to be sharing out of an unforgettable truth that shaped their lives. And our prayer as we teach you and as we share with you is going to be that these truths become unforgettable in your life, help to shape your life. And as we continue this weekend, I get to talk about the issue of devotion, unforgettable devotion. And I have to tell you, it's really close to my heart because I'm a person that really despises pretense. I, the whole idea of hypocrisy, the whole idea of make-believe, the whole idea of pretending to be something that you're not really bothers me. Because there's nothing so lonely, there's nothing so empty, there's nothing so unfulfilling as pretending to be something you're not. But even worse, in that Jesus Christ and his truth is real, there is nothing more damaging to people experiencing that than people pretending to have it, but not really. I admire authentic spiritual devotion. I mean, I absolutely admire those people who go beyond words, words that are easy to say, like the words of the song that was just sung, I need you more every day, and these words that are so easy to say, I love and admire the people who go beyond the words to truly express a life of spiritual devotion. Because here's what happens. It always leads to an amazing consequence. It always leads to experiencing the consequential impact of God's promises and purpose in their lives, and it always makes an impact on others. These kind of people inspire me. They make me want more of that. And I'll tell you, one of the stories early on in my spiritual journey that really inspired me to want to be devoted to God, know God, make a difference in this world for Him, was the story of five young men five young men in the 1950s who were extremely talented men. They were like top of their class in many cases. They had all kinds of opportunities open to them. They could have done anything in life, much of which could have been lucrative or made them well-known and popular in a human sense. But all five of these men chose a very different course. All five of these men, because they had true and genuine devotion to Jesus Christ, beyond the songs and beyond the words, truly had a real relationship with God that so defined their lives that they decided that they would sacrifice every opportunity of life in order to simply share the truth and the love that they had experienced with Jesus with others. But they didn't choose the easy spots in the world. All five of these guys, through various various circumstances of their life, arrived at the place where they decided they were going to devote their lives to reaching an isolated, very primitive, and extremely dangerous and violent tribe of Indians in Ecuador. 
They were the Alka Indians. And these five men, their names were Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, and one other. How's that for preparation? Peter Fleming. They went in, and the only way they could get there was by airplane. Here's some video of them on the beaches in Ecuador. For a year, they flew the airplane over this primitive violent tribe, and they hung gifts down, and they exchanged it. And finally, they landed on this primitive beach where some of the Alcas came out to meet with them. They named one George, the one that you saw in that video, and they actually took him up in the plane and took him around, and they had finally seen the answers to their prayer. They were going to be able to share Christ and hope with this violent tribe. Unexpectedly, though, a group from the tribe came out with spears and killed all five of these men on that lonely primitive beach in Ecuador in January of 1956. They died for devotion to Christ. And you say, well, that's a tragedy. That was unexpected. It really wasn't all that unexpected. They knew that they were going into danger, and they were willing to do it because of their devotion to Christ. And Jim Elliott, long before they made the ultimate sacrifice, wrote these words right next to the picture of Nate Saint and the man they called George by nickname. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's a tragedy that they died so young. But what Jim Elliott and these others knew was that all of us are going to die. We're going to lose our lives no matter how long we live. But if we can give that which we're going to lose anyway, to gain that which cannot be lost, something far more substantial, something far more meaningful, something of far greater consequence, it's worth it. They made the exchange. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It wasn't simple words. They lived it with their lives. I am inspired by men like these, by people like these, who live lives of authentic spiritual devotion, who go beyond the pretense and the mask and give their lives to it. I'm inspired by it, but I have to tell you the truth. In my early journey, as much as I admired this kind of a devotion, as much as I was inspired by it, it didn't seem to be something I could access in my own life. I mean, I, I tried. I wanted what they had. I wanted to be that devoted. I wanted to know God that much that I would want to exchange everything, all of my dreams, in order to serve Him. But it just seemed out of my reach. And so what I did is I went about trying to find it, and I kept missing it, so I started trying to manufacture it and putting it on, but that just left me empty. I, I had a very difficult time experiencing it until I finally discovered what made these kind of people so different. And it's going to surprise you, because it surprised me. It shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. What motivated them to live lives of such great devotion and consequence was one simple word, love. Now, you're going to go, Really? We're in church, you have to say that. I'm, I'm not talking about the kind of love we generally read about and watch movies about and think about. I'm not talking about feeling-based love. I'm talking about the kind of love that leads to full devotion of life and consequence. It wasn't just something that they said. It was who they were. It was the kind of love that caused them to long for God more than anything else. It was the kind of love that caused them to hunger for, thirst for, God more than anything else. In fact, they got to the place, as that quote from Jim Elliot indicates, they got to the place 
where they were unable to find any meaning in life outside of God because they had so fully experienced God. That's all that satisfied them. I find all kinds of biblical support for this. In fact, let me share with you the words of David, another Jim Elliot kind of person from the Old Testament. Look at his words in Psalm 63. These words mean so much to me. I want this to be the reality of my life. I don't want to talk about a relationship with God. I want this kind of relationship with God. He said, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you like I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I long for you, God, as if I'm in a spiritual desert and you're the water I need to survive. I've seen you, and this is why he longs for him. The reason I long for you this way, the reason I thirst for you this way, is because I have seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory. Once you experience the reality of God in your life, you can't live without it anymore, which is really what starts to burden me in this world of ours. So many people who claim to know Jesus, so many people who claim to follow him, so many people who claim to love him, can follow for a little while and then disappear. Can be in and out, can be up and down. But the truth is, once we really experience the unbelievably profound power and presence of God in our life, like David did, then it becomes life itself. Look at how he says it in Psalm 63. I've seen you. I've beheld your power, your glory. I've, I've tasted. And because of this, I now know your love is better than life itself. My lips will glorify you. Your love is better than life itself. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Your love is better than life itself. Now that's spiritual devotion. And so he goes on and he says, So I praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as if I'm eating the best of foods. Singing lips with my mouth will be about praising you, and even on my bed I will remember you. I'll think of you through the watches of the night. He was simply saying, The center of my life the center of my longing, that which defines me, will be my relationship with God. And you need to know, these are the words that express the heart of guys like Jim Elliot. These are the words that express the reality of Paul the Apostle and anyone else who has ever faithfully served God. Spiritual devotion that leads to spiritual consequence. They are the kind of words that are true of everyone who's ever truly lived a life of devotion. I was very impacted by the journals of Jim Elliot that were edited by his wife Elizabeth Elliot in my younger years because he was a guy that was much younger than me at the time I was reading these, and yet he seemed to have a love for God beyond anything I'd ever experienced, and I finally started realizing why. It's because he put in the effort to know God. I, I wanted to have all there was of God without giving him all there was of me. I wanted all the consequence of knowing God with putting in little effort. I wanted it to be microwaved. I wanted it to be instantaneous. I wanted it to be easy access. I wanted greatness, but I didn't want to work for it. But every time I've ever met someone who had true spiritual devotion and every time I've gotten to read about or know someone who lived a life of great spiritual consequence, I found out it didn't just happen. It wasn't that they just got a lucky break and some great circumstances fell their way. They were people who made the hard choice to take the time necessary to develop that relationship with God. 
as their number one relationship. And I'm going to tell you, in my life, often this is missing. In the lives of most people that claim Christ, it's often missing, which explains why God's promises are often missing, God's presence is often missing, and the true spiritual experience that should define our lives is often missing because we're not doing the hard work of wisely spending our time with God. The best metaphor I can give you is the metaphor of marriage. There are a lot of people who get married and there are even a lot of people, though there's much divorce, there are a lot of people who spend a lifetime together, but there aren't a lot of people who experience the unbelievably profound intimacy that marriage can achieve in their lives. And the difference is this. There are people who spend their life together but never make the investments that lead towards intimacy, and then there are those that spend their life together and spend those years and those days investing in building trust and honor and respect and knowing and being known. You can be with someone for years and never really know them unless you invest yourself in them. That's how it is with God. And the truth is, if I'm honest, the majority of people who claim to have a relationship with God, and this is important for those of you who are searching out this relationship to understand, the majority of people who claim to have a relationship with God don't really invest full throttle in knowing him. And this is why so often we're disappointed by people who call themselves Christ followers and then they end up being hypocritical or inconsistent in their faith or downright lying about it. It's because they're not making that primary investment in knowing him. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to claim to know a real God and not really know him. If this God's real, I want to know him. If I can have a relationship with Jesus, I want it to be real. And I have found that the same that's true in marriage is true in a relationship with God. And so this is how I've tried to pursue it. And I am flawed, and I make mistakes, and I take, I take backward movement and all of that. But in my heart, I have to tell you, I want a life of spiritual devotion. I want to live a life like Jim Elliot, though hopefully not dying on a beach, a primitive beach in Ecuador before my time, a life of consequence because of my devotion to him. But I have to tell you, it doesn't come easily for me. And it won't come easily for you. It's not an automatic. It doesn't happen naturally. It happens over time as we learn to become faithful at genuinely spending time with him. Now, for me, it started when I was on a three-month outreach trip to Ireland as a young man. Um, as a part of the program, we were, we were building onto an orphanage, and then we were sharing our faith around Southern Ireland and uh, the Dublin area. And, but as part of the program, our leaders required that the first thing in the morning, each of the team members spend 30 minutes with God every morning. I had never done anything like this. And I decided, okay, if that's what we're supposed to do, if that's the priority and they're prearranging the time in the morning, then I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it with purpose. I'm not going to do it to fulfill the duty, to check it off the list. I want to, if this God is real, then I want to know this God. And I started literally, daily, spending time with God to hear his voice, to experience his reality, to listen to him, to obey him, and to apply his truth to my life. And it started changing my world. The difference between me before that trip and after that trip is so transformative, I don't have time to explain it, but it all hinged on before that trip, I never really spent quality time with God in any kind of consistent manner. And after that trip, 
I was a different man because I had started spending consistent time with God, building relationship. You can't have a relationship with God if you don't spend consistent time with Him. Just like you can't have a marriage if you don't spend consistent time with your spouse. And yet most of us don't spend consistent time with God. You've got to do it. You can experience a life of consequence, a life of spiritual devotion. You can genuinely know God, but it takes time. In fact, this is the truth that I want to give you. Genuine love and devotion to God. The kind of love that makes you long for Him and hunger for Him and thirst for Him and really unable to settle for anything less than knowing Him. That kind of relationship only develops when we faithfully spend time with Him. It sounds easy, but take it from my experience. It's not easy. Genuine spiritual devotion isn't experienced easily, but it can be experienced. And when it is, it leads to a life of true meaning and consequence, a life worth living. Let's use Jesus as our example, and this is where the unforgettable truth starts to unfold. It's all about how Jesus lived his life and what motivated him to live his life that way from a human perspective. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. This literally is Jesus' secret for his life of unbelievable consequence. Mark 1, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's literally the secret of his life of consequence from a human perspective. Uh, we need to read again because there's so much there that you didn't get. First of all, very, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. A lot of you didn't even know this was possible. <laughs> very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Not because it was easy, but because it was intentional. It fit into his world, and I'll show you this in a minute. And what did he do? He, he didn't get up to, to go to Starbucks or to put Folgers in his cup. He, he, I got both ends of the economic spectrum there. Did you see that? I just thought I would be relevant to everybody. Um, he, he, he got up for one purpose, to leave the hub of activity of his life, to leave everybody that was recognizing him and seeking him out, to leave the house, priorities and responsibilities to go off to a solitary place where he could spend time with God, where he could pray. It was the core of his life. And yet, to be honest, so many of us who call ourselves Christians and Christ followers have never made this the core of our life, which is why we speak words of devotion but don't live lives of devotion, which is why we talk about making a difference, but we never really do, which is why we talk about hope, but don't experience it, and talk about love, but don't experience it. It's because we don't really invest the time in knowing this God who can transform our lives. That's what Jesus did, and that's what those who follow him should do. But it doesn't come easy. The unforgettable passage for me is the passage that explains why Jesus lived this way, why he did this. Very early in the morning, got up, went to a solitary place, and spent time with God. And you need to know, he had spent the other day, the day before, from early morning till late at night, investing himself outward. And yet, with very little sleep, he still got up and did this. It's the why that's important to me. And he told us why. Before Jesus ever came to earth, you need to know, Jesus, the Son of God, is the one who created the world. The Bible makes this very clear. He existed before he became a man. He was virgin-born and became a human being so that he could be the one perfect story so that he could die for our imperfect stories and then give us a new story. We could walk in newness of life. So he was born of the Virgin Mary, but he had existed before God, the Creator, the Son of God. 
700 years before that first Christmas, before he became a man, he, through the prophet Isaiah, told us what would motivate him every single morning to be up. No matter how much sleep he got or didn't get, he told us why he did it. Look at Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 and 5. When I understood the truth of this particular passage, it reshaped my entire life. It got me to the place where I could experience devotion that didn't come easily for me. And you need to know, Isaiah chapter 50 is Jesus speaking about the life that he would live when he's on this planet. It's a prophecy of what he would be like. And look what he says in verse 4. The sovereign Lord, God the Father, has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Jesus was the greatest teacher in the history of the world. No one used words to bring better comfort and better challenge to this world. His truth exists today, and it sets people free. And how did he get to that place? Because the sovereign Lord gave him the instructed tongue he had to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. 700 years before he became a man, he's telling how he would live his life. Every single morning, by every single morning, the Father will awaken me, and he'll awaken my ear to listen like one being taught. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. He has instructed my tongue. He has taught me the way to live. And I've not been rebellious. I've obeyed. I've not drawn back. I've trusted. His entire human journey is defined by that passage which was 700 years before he stepped foot on this planet. It's the secret, it's the principle by which I have been able to start leaning more into devotion, spending time more faithfully to God, though it's at odds with my culture and my nature. And I want you to see it. I want to share it with you. Because if it can become as unforgettable in your life as it has been in mine, it can shape you in ways that will change you as much as it's changed me. And I will tell you, the only thing of value in my life stems from the quality of my relationship with God, and I wouldn't have it apart from these kind of principles, spending time with God. The very first thing Jesus said was going to guide him when he was on this planet in Isaiah 50. Is he, he, he said, I'm going to tell you that I'm never going to forget my priorities. I'm always going to remember what the number one priority in the world is, in my world is. And he says, my number one priority will be to spend time with God. In Isaiah 50, he says, every single morning, morning by morning, I'm going to spend time with the Father. He made it his priority. If you want to live a life of spiritual devotion instead of a life of pretense, if you want to truly and genuinely experience God and a life of consequence instead of talking about it but not really ever touching the hem of the garment of it, you have to make spending time with God a priority. Jesus said, you're seeking all kinds of things. There are all kinds of priorities in your life, but you're not finding them. You're filled with worry and anxiety. Seek first God and his ways and everything else will be added to your life. And he lived it. He made spending time with God a priority. I'm sorry. That just isn't the definition of most of Christianity today. I mean, we tack it onto our life once in a while if we need to. If things aren't going well, then we put in some time, you know, so that we might get things shaped up again. But... Our number one priority in life is not developing a relationship with God, which is why our number one experience in life isn't experiencing his promises in life. He spent time with God as a priority. To which I know the argument because I give them, we live in a very busy world. Our culture is busy, the frenetic pace of it. There are so many responsibilities in life, and I've been told this and I've said this. I just don't have time. I don't have time to spend time with God. Too much other stuff going on. And just so you know, two things. Number one, 
you don't have the time not to spend time with God because there's no greater waste in time than to live your life without him but it gets worse than that you do have the time you just don't have the priority and here's what even makes it worse you do have the time you don't make it a priority and I know this because I'm speaking from personal experience you do have the time you just don't make it a priority and here's the real bad stuff but you claim it's your priority I mean, we sing songs like Christy sang up here, Oh, I need you, you're my treasure, you're all I need, I need more of you every day, oh yeah, and we, we'd like drool over it and weep over it, and oh, yeah. And we walk out of here and we don't think about God again until the next time we happen to be around people talking about him. We claim him as a priority, but we don't make him a priority. Here's why I know. We do our priorities. Mark those four words down. You do your priorities. Now, you might claim different ones, but you do your priorities. Whatever's a priority to you, you find time to do it in this world. What Jesus said was, I am going to make knowing God my priority, and I'm going to do it. And he did. I'm telling you right now, I would have set my iPhone for 10 o'clock on this particular morning. He had had such a busy day, I would have said, I need a little bit more sleep if I'm going to function well. Jesus said, I need a little bit more of the Father if I'm going to function well because it was a priority. I just have a little question for you. Do you do the priority of spending time with God or is it not a priority? Because it's the difference between a life of pretense, a life on the outside looking in, or a life of true devotion, a life of consequence. Need to make spending time with God a priority. The second thing I found in this passage that has reshaped me, and remember, I'm talking about what shaped me. So when I get upset, I'm upset at me. When I get intense, I'm intense with me, and I'm just kind of sharing my own personal schizophrenia with you, okay? That's kind of what's going on here. You need to make spending time with God a priority more than anything else, else you have nothing to live for. And then in Isaiah 54 and 5, he made it clear that if you're going to live up to the priority, you have to prearrange it into your schedule. So 700 years before Jesus comes to this earth, 700 years before he puts his first foot on the dirt, he says, when I come, it's going to be a priority to spend time with God, and so I'm going to prearrange every single one of my days to put him at the very beginning. Morning by morning, every single morning, I'm going to spend with God. It wasn't an accident that he got up in the morning and spent time with God because he prearranged it into his schedule. Now, I don't know about you, I have, a, I have no problem vocalizing priorities. I have a real problem really prearranging them into my schedule. For Jesus, he spent time with God because he scheduled time with God. This is what happened to me in Ireland. It was scheduled in the morning, prearranged, and so I started doing it, and it transformed my life. I have a question for you. When is your next meeting with Jesus scheduled? When was your last one scheduled? And I'm not talking about church, though church can be thrown into this. It's certainly a time we can come and we can hear and we can be inspired and all that different stuff. And since the average person attends Northridge once every three weeks, obviously we've got a different schedule arrangement with church than I think would be appropriate. But that's a whole other issue. But I'm talking about your personal relationship with God. When, when was your last appointment with God? Scheduled. When's your next one scheduled? If it's not, I've got news for you. That's why you won't have the meeting. 
Jesus, the Son of God, made time with God a priority and prearranged it to happen for him in the morning. It can be morning, it can be noon, it can be night. It just has to be arranged. And by the way, here's what I have found. When I prearrange everyday time with God, it makes me conscious of him all day. When was the last time that happened for you? Now, if you're here and you're going, really, I came to church just to feel a little bit better, put in my time, and you're not helping, Powell, really. If you're just here putting in your time to feel a little bit better, you're wasting your time. Because putting in a little bit of time will never make you feel better. Truly and genuinely knowing God is the only thing that will lead to life and life to the full. And if that's going to happen, I need to challenge you forward to spend time with him. I... I I need to challenge you forward. Otherwise, you will stay exactly where you are, exactly where I've been, and I'm telling you what a meaningless existence to hear about him, to talk about him, to sing about him, to declare him, and not to experience him. Make it a priority. Prearrange it into your life. And finally, you know what Jesus said in Isaiah 50? He he said, I'm going to do it not out of duty. I'm going to do it out of want to. I'm going to do it because I want to hear from him. I'm going to do it because I need to hear from him. I'm going to do it because I won't know what to say without him. I won't know what to do without him. And I need to take every step based upon his guidance. Jesus spent time with God because he knew it was the only way he could experience life as God designed it. We need to get there. In my early days, I thought spending time with God was one of these religious rituals you had to do. No wonder it was meaningless exercise. It was just a duty. But over time, I've realized that without hearing God's voice, I have no concept of what I'm supposed to be doing in life. I need his voice so I can live my life the right way, and so do you. And that's how Jesus approached it. He said, I need him to instruct my tongue. I need him to guide me. And I find three things he's telling us there about his purpose of spending time with God. First, he needed to hear from God. He needed to know what God wanted for him. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that spiritual food, the Bible, is as important to us spiritually as physical food is to our body. We need to consume his word, read it, hear it, study it, memorize it, meditate upon it, share about it, talk about it, put it at the center of our congregation. We need to hear from God. Question, when was the last time you did? Next, The reason he made it a priority and prearranged to every single day be spending time with God is because he needed to hear from God so that he could then do what God said. Trust him, obey him. He said, I've never been rebellious. I've never drawn back. I've always trusted what you said. Even when it didn't feel right, I've always obeyed what you said, and he proved it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't feel like going to the cross. In fact, he said, God, take the whole cross thing out, and I'll be better off. But then when God said, you know redemption's the only hope that the world has, your story of dying for them and being raised for them is the only hope that they have. Jesus then said, even though it's not my will, I'll do your will. I'll trust you and obey you. That kind of devotion is required to make that kind of choice, which leads to the kind of consequence of life that Jesus had. We need to trust and obey. And a lot of us don't, if we're honest. I want to show you a verse that really changed me. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, We know that we've come to know him. You might want to circle this word, if we obey his commands. 
We know that we've come to know him because we attend a cool church like Northridge. I wish the Bible included Northridge in it, but it didn't. We've come to know him because we sing cool songs or we even like the organ, <coughs> you know. We, we know we know him because we talk about the Bible and we talk about these things or we call ourselves... No, we know that we know him if we obey him. I don't know about you, but that doesn't look at, to me like the core of what Christianity is represented by these days. Quite frankly... Most of Christianity is represented by this. I know what the Bible says, but, you know, I'm just thinking the times have changed. I, I know, you know, what God says about sexual purity, but I'm going to do what I want and just hope for the best. I know what the Bible says about integrity and lying and character, but, you know, really, if I'm going to be successful today, which is the key to happiness, of course, I'm going to have to lie if I'm going to do well in business. And I'm just telling you, I believe one of the reasons we don't spend time with God is because we don't want to hear what God says because we have no intention of obeying him. And it's a choice we can make, but just know this, when you make that choice, you're making the choice to experience the meaninglessness of life instead of the meaning of it, to waste a life instead of experience a life of consequence. So the reason that we go to God is to hear from him, to trust him, to obey him, and I'm going to tell you, there are all kinds of people clamoring for more. Give me more information. I need to know more. Take me deeper. Take me deeper. I need to know more. But here's what I believe about most of us as Christians. It's certainly true of me. My biggest problem isn't that I need to learn more. My biggest problem is that I need to obey what I've already learned. And I think that's probably true of most of us. We don't really need to learn more. We just need to start obeying more of what we've already learned. Imagine how your life would change if you started obeying what you know. If you're a searcher, getting to the place where you obey and just say, you know, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to give my sin and guilt to him, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to take this leap of trust to say, I know that you're who you said you were, and I'm going to trust you. If you're a believer, to start applying and obeying what he's told you to do, it will change your life. So let me ask you a question. Is your obedience up to date? If not, then you are not living out a life of true spiritual devotion because disobedience does not lead to devotion. Disobedience does not lead to a spiritual life of consequence. Disobedience doesn't get you to that place. Obedience does. And the last reason Jesus really wanted to spend time with God every day, made it a priority and prearranged it, was to hear from God, to trust and obey God so that he could positively impact others. I love that portion of Isaiah 50, verse 4, where it says, He instructed my tongue so that I could have the right word to encourage the weary. You know, I, I would love it if my life and my words were a constant source of encouragement and inspiration for other people. And if, you at a, if you're at a far distance from me, that may be the only way you experience me when I'm at my best. But my goal isn't to impress the people who know me least. My real goal and desire is to have the people who know me best most influenced by my devotion in my life. And that only happens if my relationship with God is real. I'm obeying him. I'm hearing from him. And it's overflowing into my life. And this truth changed my life because, as I said earlier, I hate pretense and I admire devotion. 
I hate wasting time. I love making a difference. And as a believer, this is the only way I can get there. How about you? I want to show you the result in Jesus' life of this kind of living, where we make it a priority, we prearrange it, and we experience the full purpose of hearing from God. Look at Jesus in John chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. John chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. He says, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? Don't you believe that we're really one? Our relationship's so close, we're one. And the words I'm saying to you, he says, they're not just my own. I'm just not making stuff up and throwing them out there. Rather, the words that I'm saying you, you need to know, it comes from the Father. The Father who's living in me, who's doing his work in me. I have the instructed tongue from the Father who gives me the right words to say because I'm spending time with God. I'm it's a priority. I've prearranged it. It's purposeful. I'm hearing. I'm obeying. It's overflowing now in my, in my life. And then he says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. But if you don't believe my words, then believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. It's one thing for Jim Elliott to say, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Easy to say. He was found speared to death on a primitive beach in Ecuador because he meant it. It is easy for us to say, I need more of Jesus. It's you. I'm a Christ follower. It's easy. But that doesn't lead to a life of consequence. What leads to a life of consequence is living it. And I know this isn't the sexiest talk I've ever given. Not that I could ever give a sexy talk. I know that this isn't the glitziest thing, the most encouraging thing. I know it's not rah-rah, shish I get that. But I believe my role isn't to impress you and inspire you with my words. I believe my role is to introduce you to the means of how you can truly experience the fullness of God in your life. And it doesn't come cheaply, and it doesn't come easily, and it doesn't come automatically, and it doesn't come naturally. If you're going to do it, you have to do it like Jesus. You have to make time with God a priority. You have to prearrange it into your life, and you have to pursue it with purpose and not out of duty. You have to decide, I need to hear from God or I can't live. I need to obey God or I'll destroy my life. And the only way my life will ever impact others positively is if I do. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus' life was defined by his time with God. Our lives are defined by what we invest our time in. Let me ask you a question. What's your life defined by? John chapter 14, Jesus takes what he said about himself, and he says it can be true of you. Look what Jesus says in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. As I love the Father and obeyed his teaching, if anyone loves me, he'll pursue my teaching, he'll want to hear my teaching, he'll want to know my words, and he'll obey that teaching. And as a result, you'll, you'll experience the Father's love. And we, the Father and me, will come to that person and we'll make our home with him. Talk about experiencing the fullness of God. God makes his home in the very people who love him enough to spend time with him and obey him. But then look at the last phrase in verse 24. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. He who doesn't truly love me, long for me, hunger for me, thirst for me, won't spend time with me, won't pursue my teaching, won't obey it, won't experience it. Here's my question. Where are you in this? Where are you? Can you say with David in Psalm 63, 
Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you as if I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water because I've seen you and beheld your power and glory and because I know your love is better than all of life. So my life is going to live for you. Can you say that? The answer depends on whether you're spending time with God or not. The answer depends on whether your time with God is defining your life or not. And I don't know about you, I'm just not satisfied sitting around talking about Jesus. I'll only be satisfied when we're sitting around experiencing Jesus and then making a difference for him. Where are you? I want to give you one last verse and then we're going to pray. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I have three questions. Are you one of his sheep? If so, are you listening to his voice? It's a priority. You're prearranging it. And if so, are you knowing and following him? Are you hearing him, obeying him, and overflowing in your impact to others? If not, failure's not final. This can be an unforgettable moment that becomes an unforgettable memory that reshapes your entire world because you can make the choice to stop living a life of pretense and instead start living a life of genuine devotion. And in so doing, you're going to find everything you're looking for. But you have to answer the questions and make the choices. And so I'm going to ask you to bow with me as I close in a word of prayer, and then we'll be released. But as we bow in prayer, if you're already a believer and you say you're already one of his sheep and already one of his followers, I encourage you to pray through with him whether or not spending time with God is a priority that you've prearranged and are experiencing with purpose in your life. And if not, make the choice to devote yourself to him. But if you're here today and you say, I don't even know I'm one of his sheep. I, I can't call myself a Christ follower, one of his children. That's where it all begins. And I want you to pray with me. Take my words, then make them yours. Become one of his followers so that you can start hearing his voice and following him. Just pray with me this way. Just say, Jesus, I, I desperately need you in my life. I've, I've sinned against God. I'm separated from God. I don't know God. But I believe that when you died on that cross, you and your perfection died for my sin. And so I'm confessing my sin and giving it to you. And I believe when you rose again, you did it to give me new life. And I'm asking you by faith to fill me with that new life. Help me now to hear your voice and to follow you. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed with me, please let me know. If you're in one of our live services, we give you a program. And inside is this connection card thing. It's perforated. It's easy to tear out. And the whole goal of it is so that we can know that you prayed with me. You fill this out on the bottom. You check off today, I prayed to receive Jesus. And then you put it in one of the boxes you leave. And we'll send you a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. Please let us know. If you're already a believer, we gave you this picture of Nate Saint with this Alka Indian man. And this quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The question is, have you made the choice to be wise or are you existing through life as a fool? 
Be wise. Choose him. And let him take your devotion and make your life one of consequence. So glad you came. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye.